Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 220. I'm John Davis, and joining me today in... Studio C, MotorWeek World Headquarters, and it's what, how are we, about 50 feet? About, no, 40 <laughs> feet by 40 feet? Anyway, uh, is Brian Robinson, our writer and chief architect of most of our road tests. Wow, that's way, giving me way too much credit. Let's add that in your title. Our senior executive producer, Dave Scribner. Hello. And our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Here I am. And he is. And we've got three vehicles we were going to talk about a lightning round, a viewer question that is probably one that a lot of people will wonder about, uh, rant and rave, and that's about it. That's a lot to cover, so let's start. 2020 Chevrolet Silverado 2500 HD, the HD lineup of the Silverado, bigger, better, stronger, all those words that everybody always uses when they come up with any full-size pickup truck, 6.6-liter .6 V8 gas, um, course a 6.6 liter v8 diesel again a new allison 10 speed automatic towing capacity 35,000 pounds if you equipped it right the ugliest front end i have ever seen on a any, truck any vehicle yes. i mean or anything i mean i don't get it i mean are we are we after an award for well, just you can't hideous? See it from the inside of the car. Oh, it's a it's a nice driving machine. Uh, the interior, I thought, was a, a decent update, uh, but oh man, it doesn't share any body panels. I think except the That's roof, correct, maybe for the roof for the first yeah, time. Yeah, the first time it's the to the half ton's body. Right, yeah. you got a look so, of consternation he, there. What, uh, uh, what I just I, I was thinking it was more on the max towing, but I don't know. Uh, uh, I could have gotten typed in a number wrong, but I yeah. looked it up on. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a lot. It's so, and the, it's all fifth the, wheel the anyway. So the who high cares? output Ram is up to a thousand pound feet now. Right. Yeah. With this tour, this is nine ten. Yes. Yeah. So that this comes in at nine ten, and I mean, right. are we gonna? No, because you you've got the that's an optional. Right. The Ram is like above the normal mm -hmm. uh, diesel yeah. anyway. The high, high. Uh, it's the high, high the output or whatever. The yeah, the Duramax is actually unchanged from before. That's not all new uh, but the 10 speed that goes with right, it isn't and it? it made it uh i wouldn't say it made a huge difference but it made it a lot faster at the track i know that it was and it was go ahead talk about the track because uh, the numbers I were surprising they were shockingly fast oh, yeah, it's, it's quick off the line i mean it doesn't it, torque yeah it, but it was a, two seconds faster than than the ram diesel we had it, it's uh, a lot no, of torque was it a full two seconds i think it was very close yeah we have more questions than answers today yeah anyway it was definitely quicker the gas engine is all new, 6.6-liter .6 V8. Uh, we did not get a chance to sample that. Um, but the big I don't think the front end's that uh, obnoxious. I mean, it's a big truck. Uh, I mean, We're so used to seeing these things, so fill up your rearview yeah, mirrors. I think a big, a big part of the Chevy plan, uh, uh, the max towing is 400 more than the Ram, yeah. I think. I do remember uh, that correctly, even with less torque. But... 
Uh, I think the big part of that, much like the 1500, is to making things easier mm-hmm. to get jobs done. Easier they to work with. Steps all over Lots the bed. of steps. Yeah. And you've got a, don't you have a power tailgate too option? Uh, which yeah. I'm not sure that many people will opt for, but. I don't know. Yeah, and that's not unique. I mean, yeah. other people offer power tailgate now. But yeah, the main thing is just uh, the steps in the bed. Uh, making it easier to get in there. They they stretch the wheelbase and crew cab miles Back seat a lot more. Was real so roomy. it's still no mega cab, but the rear mm-hmm. seat has a lot more uh, space in it. Mm-hmm. And all the tech up front is uh, plenty easy to use. The so. Big with the towing cameras and everything like that. Oh too. yeah, yeah. Which yeah. which is a cool feature, especially the one that you can put on the back see of the trailer, the trailer and see through the trailer, um, which GMC I guess had first. Um, I found it very small to drive it it i was shocked at how small it drove i mean to the point where if you're out on the highway you start thinking you're you do things that you might not do if you really were conscious that you were an hd truck so it drives nicely yeah i i I could agree with that but i also had problems with my blind spots because Mm -hmm. maybe i'm just not used to driving heavy duties and i really had troubles getting there's, you have the the two big standard mirrors, right. and you have the two smaller mirrors, and I like I'm just very very specific about where I like my mirrors, and I could not find the right spot, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's just the way Chevy had it set up because I know they have blind spot problems in a lot of their other vehicles. Um, that was an issue with me, and then I I thought it rode fine, but when you drive a Ram heavy duty, yeah, it's, it's a, just a smoother so much ride. Better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got to put about a thousand pounds in the bed before the Silverado smooths out. But I think it will appeal greatly to the Chevy fans. Uh, is it going to stop uh, the erosion of market share that they're losing to Ram? I doubt it. You know, I think that's their hope. Yeah, I but don't know how the heavy duty numbers are. Yeah, behind, if it's the same as the. 1500s or not? I I think they've lost some market share. Of course, some of the Ram market share, a matter of fact, a substantial amount of it for for the half ton, is because they've continued to make the previous truck that they call a classic, and they priced it so low that a lot of people mm-hmm. have, have opted for that, I mean, and GM that's going to eventually go away. Hmm? GM sells the most pickup truck, but it's all a whole lot of mid sizes. It's a whole lot of mid sizes. Plus, it's also GMC thrown in there too. Yeah. Okay, so we, uh, I think we give the Silverado HD a thumbs up uh, as long as you can get past the front end. 2020 Nissan Sentra, new entry uh, level. Uh, well, not Sentra's not really entry level anymore. Yeah, it's almost midsize, I guess, because of, of it's, it's gotten so big. Greg, you're the one that has the most experience. Take it away. Yeah, you're right. It is almost a midsize from a sheer size standpoint. Mm-hmm. We saw that uh, when I was in L.A. and saw it revealed. Uh, finally got to drive it, and it's uh, you know it's a good-looking vehicle. They took a lot of Maxima in it. Yep, took yep. styling cues right from Maxima, and then on the interior, they'll tell you that they took some stuff from the GTR, which I assume <laughs> they're just talking about some of like the the circular air vents that look like turbines. Same buttons. N- nice to yeah, nice to look at. I'm talking about the vents, uh, not so great to work with. So the the interior sees a lot more premium looking materials mm-hmm. not so premium feeling there, hmm. there are definitely some premium feeling but there's also a lot of areas where you start touching and it's just hard plastics but i think it looks great Made to be durable yeah the uh um the seats the zero gravity seats are standard and those are just some great comfortable seats they can be uh wrapped in quilted leather which is nice on top grades uh, that's an sr grade is the top grade and they've actually simplified their whole lineup 
So there's the base S, the mid grade SV, and then the top SR. And there's only two packages you can buy, and those are only available on the top two trims. What a world we're in now. So you can basically, for 24.5, that's the top trim level, you know, you can't get a whole lot of SUV for 24.5. I mean, the entry level at best on, on a compact. Um, so it once again just shows how these four-door sedans are coming up to be really bargains. And if you come in at 20, which is the base model, yeah. you get standard uh, Nissan 360 or whatever they call it. The automatic Jeep braking. Suite, which is automatic forward and mm -hmm. back. And this is standard. Mm -hmm. Forward and back uh, emergency braking, lane departure warning, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert. I mean, a lot of stuff standard, which is what Nissan's banking on. So... Um, Kind of to backtrack, they only offer the 2-liter i4, which is new to Sentra, 149 horsepower. But unlike Corolla and Civic, they don't offer multiple powertrains. Mm -hmm. But what they do offer is a ton of technology and a ton of safety uh, for really not a lot of money. So max price you're looking at here before any kind of dealer markup would be 24.5, and you get a lot for it. And compared to the Altima, I mean, it's a lot of car even compared to the Altima. Sure, yeah. It's and, a lot more money. And, and I did drive it, so, um, you know, a new steering system, which was a little tighter than I thought it was going to be. Not necessarily more sporty, but uh, definitely tighter and felt more locked down because they switched to a multi-link rear suspension over a torsion beam. Mm. So it's, it's fine to drive. I mean, it's a compact car. Uh, power. But is, it's not... I mean, when we 20 years ago, when you had something like this, we complained about basically it was transportation, but not much more. This is a pretty sophisticated car now. It is, yeah, and it it, it definitely feels more than just purely transportation from a ride standpoint and from a technology standpoint, which I think is you know the technology is every bit as important as the ride on a daily basis. So I think they did a nice job there. I, you know, it looks great on the outside, looks great on the inside. You can pick at some stuff, but we're talking about a car that's between twenty thousand and twenty five thousand yeah. dollars. I've got a question. We're 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 pretty much universal on this program, not liking uh, continuously variable transmissions. Amen. Uh, Nissan. Well, that's why. The, that's good. Save that. <laughs> the Xtronic, you know, which is their brand name for their CVT, they've basically bought into the CVT bef almost before anybody else, and it's throughout yeah, it their lineup. Yeah, do sure. Is their transmission, do you think, better? Does it feel, do you like it better? Does it kind of, you know, make up for some of its shortcomings because of the way it reacts, or are all CVTs the same? What do you think? They're definitely not all the same. I wouldn't say the Xtronic is one of my favorites. Uh, I would say Honda's is probably... Yeah. Uh, the Accord uh, would be at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. They all have their shortcomings. They've all gotten better. Um, I, I'm not a fan of like the Subaru's simulated gears because it's oh, they're fake. They're fake, <laughs> and they don't really they don't do this anything. Does. This yeah. is a new version that yeah. has like steps in it. Which yeah. I mean, the best thing I can say about it, and I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm really knocking this transmission because I actually do think Nissan makes a pretty good CVT, um, but. It was in the background the entire drive, which is where, where it should be in this type of car. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on to our lightning round now, oh, and uh, let's see what we got. We missed one. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. The most exciting, the most exciting thing. thing we were going to talk about today, and John just went right, blew right by it. 
Porsche's 70th anniversary event. And we had not one, but two, mm -hmm. Dave and Greg, on site for this. Wow. Take it away, gentlemen. Yeah, Dave and I flew out separately, I might add, because I was actually driving the Sentra. You didn't want to be on the same plane together. Yeah, we have trouble traveling together. We yeah, can't do it. We take we, up too much space. And <laughs> yeah, if the plane, if something happens if the plane goes down, we can't afford to lose both of them. Exactly. Oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, would, what, would every, what would anybody do without us? Um, so, yeah, it was up in Sonoma at the racetrack, and uh, basically they, Porsche flew out a few of their uh, museum models. Uh, 356 mm. uh, Roadster. Yeah, one of what 74 of those made from, yep. the, from the 50s. Uh, did did you didn't actually get a chance oh, to I drive it? it. Yeah, did you? So cool, really. On the racetrack, right. which uh, with the museum curator on hand to talk sure. about. But that's things. okay. That that's 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 memorable. When they tell you how much it's worth, you get kind of. <laughs> Yeah, it's raining. Go ahead, throat. have fun. It's worth yeah, four yeah, yeah. miles. Had, it rained the entire time, so I'm driving on a wet track that I've never driven yeah. behind a camera car. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting event, but you know, it's it's an experience. It's very cool to drive something like that where you know you're looking up over the whatever windshield. There yes, is. <laughs> there is no roof. Nothing. It's just bare bones. Uh, you know. Uh, the shift patterns, yeah, just, history. So that was made for the U.S. market. I mean, Max Hoffman, who imported the cars back then, said, you know, Porsche, we can make 10 or so of those. And he says, we need 10 of those a week. Yeah. <laughs> or don't bother. Th that was a good part of the event because we were able to just talk to uh, museum curators and they had stories. So the, the 901 they had, which is actually mm. before the 911, mm -hmm. they had to switch it over. The specific one they had, from what they told me, was on the day they made the change from 901 to 911, they made three cars. Hmm. This was the third of those three that was still called the 901. That's the last cool. 901. And we got to drive it. And uh, I've always been told it's Porsche 911s, early ones, are not very kind to tall people, and that's absolutely the case. <laughs> uh, and this was a barn find they found and yeah. restored, yeah. and it's pristine now. Yeah. Beautiful car, um, fun to drive. It's not, it's not as... You know, we're talking about a car in, from 1964. Sure. Uh, so back when basically their their legacy was, you know, hold on, you're in for the ride of your life because they're uncontrollable. <laughs> yeah, compared especially to, in the rain. Compared to a modern 911 that we've driven plenty of, um, you know, it doesn't have that like get in and just like wow, I can just drive this thing to the walls. Mm. But uh, you had to be a driver. It's it's yeah, yeah. It, it's an experience for sure. And then they had a whole evolution of the cars, and they brought along the modern counterparts. You know, they mm. had they brought, had a 959 there which i'd driven before but mm -hmm. drove theirs again on the track and really enjoyed that yeah when they ask you to drive a 959 generally you don't say you don't say no, no, I'd no. Drive the, you know yeah <laughs> no i'll pass on that van, where's thanks. the buffet they, they brought over a little forbidden fruit they had a 996 wow. uh, 911 gt3 which was never offered here yeah. in the states which was just it, it was a dave and yeah, i were we actually chasing each other yeah. or so they said hey just go drive back to the track and gave Dave and I the keys, and we said, okay, and slowly <laughs> did, walked towards our car. Did you find on this event, was everybody anxious to drive or not? Because a lot of people on these types of events don't really want to drive. There was a few people had some trepidation on the track, you know, driving, A, a car that's expensive that ex from the that, museum. Uh, yeah. There's four or five cars that are just like, don't wreck this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Irreplaceable. Yeah. Oddly enough, though, um, you know, I ended here is just that how comfortable they were with us getting in the car. They they told us about the car. Here's how you drive it. All right, off you go onto the off track. And they didn't seem to 
And I never sensed any one of the Porsche uh, no. people nervous at all and about mm, us driving the car, which made whole, me feel a little bit better. Their sure. whole thing with museum is to have the cars available for people to drive them, to get the experience out there of our legacy. And the, like, yeah, too they, many museums of vehicles just never move. They seem to be more into that. When I went we on want the, to drive yeah. our legacy, our history. When yeah. I went on the 911 Speedster launch uh, back in the summer, they had every version of Speedster there. They had one there this time. And they were like, yeah, you guys can go drive. And it was this super narrow road just to get into the hotel is like driving through a tunnel with stone walls on each side and they were like yeah hey, whatever you guys go drive these speedsters so it was, it was great nobody scraped anything no so. not yeah, that no. i'm aware of uh, i would imagine it probably happened but i'm sure i didn't see it not on thank my you gentlemen <laughs> now we're gonna go to our lightning round it's 2020 and we are now in the third decade of the 2000s wow that's amazing doesn't seem that long ago we were talking about Y2K. Y2K. I'm in still the, talking about it. <laughs> in the first 20 years, the automotive industry. I haven't turned industry, my computer off since. <laughs> in the first 20 years, the automotive industry has gone through a lot. There was a recession. There were bailouts, followed by record-breaking sales and a major shift in powertrain technology. Well, I guess. Now let's all look into our crystal ball and make some prediction about what's going to come in the 2020s. Who would like to start? I'll go. Go um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say we'll see more hydrogen infrastructure. I think <laughs> there's a little bit more of an emphasis. You like, mean outside of California? Outside of California, which they're working on. But mm -hmm. uh, just in the last few months even, it seems like a couple of brands are really trying to keep pushing forward because I think they realize that it's not just a silver bullet problem that we're working with here or a solution. We're going to need battery electric. We're going to need fuel cell. We're going to need to keep expanding. So I'm going to predict that uh, that hydrogen fuel cells will 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 keep pushing on and and be a little bit more. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More of a viable option. More a viable for the option. Person. Yeah. Brian, anything? Uh, I'm so bad at making predictions. I don't really have any nuggets of. I'm going to go with. Um, Battery technology advancing enough so you'll have 500, 600-mile-range EV cars. You know, just this week it was announced, and I can't think of who it was. Did you see the story? Someone claims they have made that breakthrough, and they will be able to double the density. So the same size battery you've got now will be double. So you're looking They're at the five and 600. for capacitors and yeah. things like that to make yeah. them, you know. Cause it, that'll solve your infrastructure problem right there. If you don't have to stop every 200 miles of charge, you can go. It'll be comparable to a gasoline like you can car. Now, a gasoline yeah. engine and quick charge it. The, the um, let me. I'd like to hear what you guys think about. Is say this is now the dawn of 2030. Uh, what's going to be the state of autonomous driving at that point, 10 years from now? I think they have. Um, Cars running in convoys, like gang together with talking and to trucks, each other. maybe. Yeah, the, the platooning. Yeah, call it. platooning. Mm -hmm. I don't see everybody driving individually, linked cars, just going wherever you want, according to the car. I think they'll have cars gang together, or know, maybe more. in confined city areas or mm -hmm. or campuses and stuff. Anybody got anything? Uh, I still have a hard time believing the lawyers are let it happen on a major scale. I mean. Seems, you know, all it takes is one or two disasters to put a company out of business. Well, so. oh, sure. When you right. sit there and start thinking of everything that needs to go right and be changed to make autonomous 
possible for everyone, all cars autonomous. There's just so much, and it just I don't see it happening in 10 years. Put them all on trains. I do think <laughs> we're going to see a lot more connectivity between cars. Just in the last couple of weeks, there's been all this discussion about um, mass navigation. So that if you're using your navigate, uh, you know, ways or whatever to get through traffic, that the car next to you that might be using it, his computer knows what your car is doing and where it's going to send you. So it doesn't won't send everybody on the same narrow back road to get around the They'll traffic jam. And they the call wealth. it mass navigation to to ease traffics. I think we will see more of that kind of stuff to basically ease congestion because it's pretty clear we're not going to build roads fast enough to keep up with with the increase in vehicles. Um, internal combustion engine. Is it still going to be the majority of vehicles sold? In say, 10 years. Partially, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say yes. Yeah. As a help, helper for the battery pack. Because those are, th those are evolving, too. I mean, yeah. with variable compression and things like that. I think everything's going to have... I think almost everything's going to be electrified. In other words, there's going to be an electric helper of some sort, either electric turbocharger or something. Mild, mild hybrids are mm -hmm. just everywhere now. Yeah. Just, a lot of people don't even realize their car is a mild hybrid. No, they don't. So... I guess what we're saying is that maybe in the next 10 years, it's not, it's going to be a continuation of what we're seeing the start of now, not necessarily. No one sees any giant revolution. No. Okay. okay. Might be a, a good time to, to buy a car. We have a viewer question from Todd. He's obviously uh, got a, a fairly new vehicle. And this question, that when we first heard it, we thought, gee whiz, Todd. Where'd you get this? And then we sort of realized that Todd's dilemma here probably extends to an awful lot of people. So here we go. He said he just started watching our show. Thank you for that. And he's enjoying it. He says, I have an eternal question that needs your help. Every time I get my tires filled at a tire shop, it seems to always be wrong. I went into a recent chain and asked the question, and it's because the technicians are going by the sticker in the door versus the maximum PSI that is stamped on the side of the tire. His 24, uh, 2014 Fusion says 34 PSI in the door, but the Bridgestone tires, he says, says maximum of 50. I'd like to keep mine at about 44 to 45 PSI because you don't want them full for expansion in the heat. So with all of that being said, what is the truth behind the dilemma? Gentlemen? Dave, take it away. Well, as the Goss's Garage producer, I have to say, Pat would always tell you to follow the door sticker. The, the manufacturer of the car has, has developed that tire and specified that. And the suspension, suspension and everything that goes with it. The load you're carrying, the size of the car, and determine the, the best PSI for your car in that situation should be what's on the door sticker, not and the tire manufacturer, which could go in 20 cars. And the maximum PSI is just that. It's yep. the most you should ever put in the tire safely under any circumstances. And the fact that you think you're leaving adequate room for expansion at 44, 45, you're probably not. That's a bit, uh, you know. That's, yeah. that's, you might, but it's yeah. it's not unusual for tire pressure to go up 5 PSI on a that's hot way day. overinflated, though, at, yeah. that, at that rate. So you're overinflating your tires at 44 to 45. Plus, you're making your car really rough. Rough. Probably getting some great fuel mileage, though. Uh, that's true. That's true. Not going to handle great, is it? <laughs> well, when you take a look at a tire that has that much air, 
you've decreased the amount of footprint that's actually touching the road. The tire actually is bowed at the bottom. And there's no sidewall flex to yeah. absorb bumps yeah. or. So, yeah, I assume that the also be, the door sticker takes into account the vehicle's weight and how a tire sits on the road. Right. Because ideally, right. right, you don't want it to wear unevenly, so it should be flat on the ground, not mm -hmm. underinflated with a, a bow in the middle or... And I'm wondering if you took a tread depth indicator, uh, Todd, if you wouldn't find that the center ribs on your tires are, have worn much quicker than the sides, which means you're basically not getting full life out of your tire. The tire technician, if he's going by the door sticker and not simply saying you need 32 to 36 pounds, He's right, and I think you should reduce the pressure in your tires, and you'll probably find the car handles and drives a lot better. But, uh, again, I think that's a question that probably a lot of it's people— It's a common question. A it's very a common, common mistake, question. But it's a mistake. Yeah. Okay, with that said, let's move on to a rant and rave. Anybody got anything that they are, are happy or sad or irritated I've about? I had a or? small thing that I guess I'd, I should know, but I've forgotten. I, I had a GMC Acadia on a recent test car. The TPM must light came on, the tire was underinflated, and I put air in it, and then the horn beeped when it got to the right pressure. And I went, wow, it, it does that? GMC? Yeah. Wow, really? Nissan went, did that for a they while. They were the first ones, yeah, yeah, yeah but other like, people well, have added it's pretty neat. It should do it all the time. Because you don't sense. usually often have a tire pressure gauge with you. I, well, I had one in the garage, but it went beep, beep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was all the way in the garage. What am I going to do, walk in? I just estimate. I've noticed that some of the do-it-yourself inflators that you have to put money in, they will do that. You dial up a pressure, and you don't actually have to look at it. Cuts it off it cuts off or it beeps or something, yeah. 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 I just thought it was neat. That's pretty cool. Anybody my else? Day. <laughs> See, uh, you know, people think we know everything. We've forgotten more than we know. Uh, going back to the Silverado, yeah. though, my, my rant on that, I think I said before, was the uh, automatic high beams. I had to stop and Google how to turn off the darn things. <laughs> I find that, that it's not consistent. Some cars, it's just a matter of flipping the stock. Some, it's a, it's, it's a button. Um, do you like automatic high beams? I do I love the way the Mercedes ones. They sort of come up and go down like, like a gentle wave. Can't stand them. Can't stand them. But I like to control what my light's pattern is going to be. I want to mm -hmm. be in charge of that, not the car telling me, you must have bright lights right now. Uh, I don't want to have bright lights right now. I want to have the regular beams. Thank you. I'm, I'm driving the car. Anybody having uh, any issues with uh, car lights in your face at all? Are you noticing I mean, now that more and more people are putting LEDs on the front end? Yeah, you can definitely tell when somebody's gone aftermarket to something they think is just brighter and better because yeah. it's terrible for the people coming yeah. at you. Um, but, yeah, I, what I notice is, and I'm sure we've covered this before, uh, there's so many people who will – uh, flash their lights at cars that we're driving because they are new. They use a different kind of light. Mm -hmm. They think we have our high beams on, but I find that, you know, oh, yeah. we don't. And they're just, they think that it's that blueness and that yeah. extra brightness. It's just like uh, uh, holiday lights that are all LED. They just look brighter. Hmm. Okay, thank you, everyone. I want to thank our writer, Brian Robinson, our senior executive producer, Dave Scribner, who's also our head writer, and our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. And thank all of you for finding Motor Week on your local public television station. And don't forget, they're asking for your support to keep doing what they've done so well for so many decades. Also, for watching us on the Motor Trend Cable Network, and to all you folks that now basically get your motor week on youtube thank you well over two million almost two and a half million uh hits a month and keep them coming to everybody else out there i'm john davis thanks for being a part of motor week
You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm.